Hello and welcome to The Guest Cast, the podcast where we explore guest stories from real people and look at how even the briefest interaction with hospitality while travelling can have a profound effect on a guest's whole life. This podcast is brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. As guest happiness fanatics, we want to dig into real-life guest experiences and learn about what really makes guests happy and what doesn't, hopefully picking up some great tips for vacation rental professionals along the way. So join us each fortnight as your hosts Andy and Tyan chat to guests from around the globe about their travel experiences. Introducing said hosts. Hi, my name's Andy. I'm the CEO here at Touchday. We started Touchday to improve guest experiences. So having a podcast in which we get to hear from real guests is something I'm personally very excited about. Hi friends, I'm Tyan Marsink Hammond, and I am a vacation rental industry leader, educator, longtime host, owner, property manager, and investor, as well as the community ambassador for Touchday Digital Guidebooks. So pack your bags and get ready for this week's guest. Welcome everyone back to the Guest Cast, the podcast with lessons from travelers. Today we have Gethin Naden, and he's going to tell us about when he went to New York to first see the original Van Gogh Starry Night painting. Or Van Gogh, for those of us who don't know what she's talking about, because she's American. <laughs> we forgive you, Tyan. <laughs> um, Gethin, Gethin Naden. Um, we had a pre-call with with Gethin just now, and uh, it's very interesting to hear about Gethin's background and experience in the world of HR, um, and particularly some of the more psychological parts of what it means to um, influence people, work with people in the workplace, and find connections, and especially so in the last 12 to 18 months when many of us have been forced to, to work remotely, it's even harder. So it was really interesting to, to hear Gethin's thoughts on that. So for that reason, it's going to be a, hopefully a very interesting podcast because we'll get this slightly different take on things, which I know um, Gethin will bring. So Gethin, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself then. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Gethin Nadin. I am a uh, award-winning psychologist, uh, best-selling HR author. I spend my days consulting with large companies around the world on how to create better experiences for their employees. So a, a significant focus on employee well-being, and, and as you mentioned, Andy, uh, the pandemic has accelerated a lot of that idea that actually we should be taking better care of people that work for us. Um, and so, yeah, some of the world's best-known brands kind of come to me and spend some time with me talking about how do we create those better environments, and and how does doing that create a better organisation and more successful organisation? Very cool. I'm sure you've got your hands full with that. Um, yeah. But it, but it's great. I mean, it's great. It's fascinating stuff. I I, lo I love this this um, this world in which we live, where we're forced to think a bit more carefully about how we communicate with people. Um, it can only be for the for the positive, in my opinion. Um, tell us a little bit about Van Gogh and this painting and the story you've got. Yeah. So I um I always liked art as a child. Um, you know, my brother, my got a twin brother. He'd go out and play football on a sunny day. I would stay in with crayons and paints or whatever, and I'd kind of draw. Um, and that that was kind of my life for a very very long time. And I was obsessed with the idea at a very young age of becoming an animator. And I managed to at a animation festival meet Nick Park, the creator of Wallace and Gromit. Uh, spent some time with him, got to ask him loads of questions. And that really fueled this idea that I wanted to become an animator. And I did my work experience when I was 16 with a couple of different animation companies who made some very, at the time, famous 
um, television programs about cavemen. That was one of George Bush's favorite programs. Um, they also did some adverts for Levi's. And so art has always been kind of part of my life. And I studied art history in school. I did two uh, qualifications for art. I did an uh, A-level and two A uh, art GCSEs in the UK. Um, so I did a lot of art in school. And very, very early on, I spent some time at the National Museum of Wales, um, which is a very big, great museum in Cardiff with some really, really good paintings. It's got some Van Goghs, got some Monets. Um, and I remember asking one of the curators on when the museum was closed, um, what the most expensive painting there was. And it was a, a painting called Rain or Auvergne, which I think is French for Rain, um, by Van Gogh. And I, I, that kind of started me then looking more at Van Gogh. And and the painting that I really, really liked of his was The Starry Night. Um, and I think as I got older, it started to resonate with me more because of the work I do in uh, around employee well-being. I was kind of, you know, I'm very conscious of the negative effects that work can have on people's mental health. And, and you know, Van Gogh suffered terribly with his mental illnesses, numerous different mental illnesses. And that painting was created in, I think, about 1889 when he took a break to the south of France for 12 months to get away from his mental health. His poor mental health had got so bad, he felt like he had to go away and get away from the same four walls and the people that he interacted with for the sake of his mental health. And that's when he, I think he painted some of his best work. And so it was that break in order to kind of look after himself that meant he was able to create his best work. And it's really indicative, I think, of the work that I do every day, which is if we take care of people, if we give them what they need, if we look after them, they will produce their best work. And I really, really believe that. And so for a long time, Starry Starry Night has been a painting that I've really, really admired and always wanted to see. Uh, and when I went to New York for the first time, I think it was about 2014, so not, not that long ago, the absolute definite thing I wanted to do was go and see this painting. And so we queued up at MoMA one day before it even opened, you know, almost banging on the doors, waiting for them to open uh, and, and pretty much made a beeline straight, straight for this painting. Um, and it's really weird and it sounds a bit romantic to say, but I was one of the few times in my life, I think, that I was blown away by just looking at something. And I looked at this painting, I looked at photographs of this painting and reproductions many, many times over. But just to stand in front of it and stare at it, it's a little bit like um, that scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he stands in front of a painting and that painting's actually a moment as well and really starts to taking the painting. And um, uh, right up until that point, I'd always felt like, you know, it was um, quite kind of precocious of people to kind of stand in an art gallery and just, you know, you could look at a Rothko square for ages and just stare at that and say, yeah, so I wonder what it's telling me. And I just, it all felt like a load of crap, right? It just felt like absolute nonsense and even as a fan of art, I'd look at Tracy Emin's Unmade Bed and think, it's literally an unmade bed. Are we, is this really artwork? Um, but when I stood in front of Starry Night, I felt kind of pretty consumed and overwhelmed by the painting. And it might be the importance I'd placed on that that image. Um, but yeah, I stood there for about 14 minutes. I ended up timing it. I stood there for 14 minutes just staring at this painting, sometimes going up close, sometimes taking a step back. Um, and then when my partner came over, I was crying and I didn't even realise I'd crying when I was looking at this painting. Um, and I could have, I, I literally could have spent hours just staring at this painting. Um, and I think when the interesting thing about art, I think, is sometimes you can look at artwork and think that doesn't mean anything. It's like it doesn't take me in. But then you hear the explanation of why it was created and what it's supposed to mean. And that and it can take on a different meaning for you as a, as a viewer. 
And so I think for me, I'd placed so much emphasis on what that painting was there for, what it did for Van Gogh and what it kind of did for me over the years, that seeing it uh, in the flesh kind of had a pretty significant impact on me, I think. And um, and ever since then, we have, and I'd never really done this before, but any new place I go to now, we will seek out the art gallery and we'll go to the art gallery and we'll make sure that we're seeing whatever that city or country has to offer. Um, and I just think it's, there's an awful lot that you can learn about society and its artwork, I think. There was a an article I read when I was much younger that said, you know, when uh, a region of a city is on the up, when it's increasing, the arts are the indication that it's reached a successful point. So when a community starts embracing the arts, it's in a really good position economically and kind of societally. So, yeah, that was it. And so that, that kind of had that impact on me. I think as soon as I was asked kind of, of a moment of a holiday or trip that stuck out there are many to choose from but i think that's probably the one that had the most profound impact on me i think it's it's really um i feel like it's something that could be quite relatable to lots of our listeners who are hosting guests um if they have places that are in locations with artistic relevance um and they will already know that that's part of their target guest market is those who love art. But one of the things there that you you kind of so perfectly described was the emotional connection you got from, you knew the piece was there and you were going to see it, but you didn't really know what it was gonna be like until you stood in front of it. And I think if there are um, more people that can have that experience in front of art, the better. And I think that could easily be fostered by some of our listeners who are in artistic regions and probably are already doing some of this, I don't know, but my guess is that becoming a real expert of your target market and being able to introduce them to, doesn't have to be artwork, but it could be anything that's that's kind of impactful based around what their interests are. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, yeah, it's the importance we place on stuff. And I think you're absolutely right. Everyone will have something in the world that they want to see. And it might have been that as a child, you opened up a magazine and an image, whatever it was, a sort of statue just captured your imagination. And that's always been something you've thought, I always want to see that. It almost feels like if you don't see some things, it's unfinished business. It's kind of, I need to see that thing before I die because I've got it into my head that it's important. And we might not, we might not even ever know why it was important to us. Um, because the other thing that the the other story that was going to stick in my head was, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash. I've got a Johnny Cash tattoo on my arm, um, and Johnny Cash became very important to me because um, before I kind of got to term came to terms with the fact that I was gay, I would listen to his music quite a lot before I came out, and it became uh, quite a comfort to me, kind of listening to Johnny Cash's music, and part of the reason why I got the tattoo, um, and so. Uh, a couple of years ago, when we had an opportunity to go to, to, to Tennessee. I knew that he was buried kind of quite far out in a place called Henderson. I think it's Hendersonville. Um, and I was like, I, I want to go and I want to go and see the Dre graveyard. And I, we weren't going to go out there because it would have taken almost a whole day. And and then I had a conversation while we were on the holiday with a partner. I was like, I feel like I have to see it. We've got the car. I think I need to go and see it. And we kind of drove up there and we went inside and said, look, I'm sure loads of people ask you this, where is it? They gave us a map to show us where it actually was. A girl at reception told us that her father used to drink with Johnny Cash and we kind of went out. Um, and again, as soon as I went up to the gravestone, completely overwhelmed with, and even now just talking about it, I feel myself getting choked up, but completely overwhelmed with the idea of I was now kneeling above 
the the body of this man who I think never met me but helped me through a difficult time in my life and I had to ask my partner to leave I was like can I just have five minutes alone because I just because I felt like that it felt really weird I felt like there were some things I needed to say and I should probably add that I've never ever visited the grave of anyone I've ever known up until this point and I didn't even know him so you know even family members who had died I've never gone to visit the graves of um and I just think there is yeah, I think unfinished business is kind of a, a nice phrase. I think for lots of people, there is this, these places they can go that almost settles their soul by doing that. And I know that sounds really kind of romantic, but uh, that's generally what it felt like with me is that I was I was completing something. I was It was coming full circle. It was ending whatever it was that I was kind of Yeah, doing. but it's interesting though, because it, it, it's, um, it, I, I forget which conference it was. I was, at, I was at a couple of conferences last week and one of the speakers just, I don't know what the subject matter was it was almost like irrelevant subject matter and they wanted to bring people back to the very essence of what it means to host guests and they said we are the maker of memories and that you've just described too I mean those memories weren't made by your host that you were staying with or the hotel that you were staying at but you've just perfectly described how people who have guests who are coming into town for these kind of things are the maker of those memories like perhaps they could have um already pre-equipped you with you know you need to go here and this is where you'll find his grave and um well the 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 host that we had so this is this is something that has become absolutely part of my everyday dialect so when we stayed in new york we stayed in a pretty rundown hotel actually um and uh you know we were of the view that we just weren't going to be there you know we ended up doing 15 to twenty thousand steps a day we were just going there sleeping and getting up and leaving so we weren't interested in paying loads of money for a place um, and it had a really old lift in it and that lift was manually operated. So it needed a lift, a guy in the lift that would wow. kind of crank a hat before you couldn't do it yourself, um, which in itself ended up being quite unique part of the stay. You know, the fact that it was run down, it meant it was really old. And so it was this really nice art deco building, even if it was run down. And every time this guy got in the lift, um, he'd shut things and he kind of crank the handle. And we'd always say thank you as we got out. And, um, and in a very, very deep, booming voice, he'd always say, you're welcome. And so every time we'd get out of the lift, we were like, we were getting excited, looking, waiting for this guy to say it. And so now in our everyday life, sometimes I'll hold the door open for somebody, they'll say thank you, and I'll just say, welcome. you're welcome. Not realizing that no one else gets no one else gets the joke. But so so even there, I think, you know, as part of that memory, it's all interlinked, right? So every time my partner does it as a joke and says, you're welcome, I will think back to that holiday. And as soon as I think back to that holiday, I think back to going to see that painting. So I think all those memories are linked. And I would, you know, in that, in, in that instance, the host definitely played uh, an important part in that holiday and a memorable part. I think another important part to point out is that you have a history leading up to each of these events. So you were, you were studying art history. You found out about Starry Night. You wanted to go see this. You had done the research. Um, same thing with Johnny Cash. You had a connection there and you wanted to go do that. And it really shows the importance of being able to help a traveler uh, get to that point that they're researching and they're wanting to do and make sure that they're not derailed and, you know, not end up not doing it um, because your host can play such a big part of improving that experience um, and helping it, you know, improving it, <laughs> being better with it even. Yeah, well, mostly because the, the hosts also just they know the they know the the, the local market. I mean, you, chances are that if you if you 
if you know part of your target audience are art lovers, uh, then you probably already know maybe the best time to get a ticket for the, the art exhibition, or you maybe know somebody who can do a private showing of something. You know, it wouldn't happen at the moment, but you know, it might happen at a local art gallery. Um, these kind of little curated experiences, I think, are really within the grasp of so many people. And then you're, you're a kind of different level. Then you're not just providing a bed. Like you said, you were doing so much walking, you just wanted a bed to crash in each day. But you could be more than that, even if someone isn't spending much time there. Well, I think one of the, the good things about galleries, and there are some websites that do this, and I think it'd be a great thing for hosts to do is, you know, in, in major cities, some of these art galleries are, are huge, right? They're pretty significant. You might have to queue for a while to get in. And once you're in there, there's a lot of artwork. And one thing that galleries don't do that I'd love to see them doing is give me the highlights. If you've got an hour to go around MoMA, what should I see in an hour? Because there's a there's about 10 very famous paintings that if you see nothing else, you've seen a large portion of the most significant paintings ever painted. And so, you know, hosts can do that, right? You can kind of say, right, it's if you head up to the um, floor C in this section, you'll see the most expensive painting in America or you'll see the oldest painting in Spain or whatever it might be. Um, and I, I think as a traveller, for, for me, that I'd love to see that because New York was really difficult to navigate. There's so many, so many art galleries. And part of that trip, we went to Washington, D.C., which in itself has got a significant number of paintings. And um, and so, yeah, I think just having those kind of if you if you don't see anything else and you've only got 45 minutes, this is what you should go and have a look at. Um, and I think people really appreciate as well as especially when it comes to art is if you're a host, what do you like? I would love to know what my host thinks is their favourite painting. It doesn't have to be the most expensive or the most famous, but what artwork resonates with you and why? Because I think when you start to have that dialogue and that interaction with people, you remember that. You definitely remember the conversations you have with people when you're travelling, um, where somebody just opens up to you. If, you know, if I'd had that conversation with a host and they then opened up about a painting that had an emotional connection or a reason for them... I would remember that story and that person for a long, long time. So, Gethin, why do you think the travel moment, this travel moment of seeing Starry Night had such a big impact on you? I think it, it, for me, it's like a lot of travel. You know, I think everyone, there's not going to be one person listening to this that doesn't have a bucket list. And I doubt that not one person has not got a place they want to see on that bucket list. And they'll want to see it because it was a scene in a film or... Maybe their parents grew up there. Maybe they had a really good memory there and they want to go back. But for everyone, there's going to be a reason behind a place. And I think places have a, you know, the psychologist in me will tell you that kind of places have a pretty significant part in belonging and how we feel about ourselves and our lives. You know, the most obvious one is home, right? We feel safe at home. We belong at home. So even when you go traveling, it's great to come home, even if you've had a great experience, because that's where you feel safe and secure. And so I think there are places around the world that have belonging for people. And I think in some odd way, that painting had some kind of belonging to me that felt like home. And maybe it was because it had become this thing that I put so much into, same as Johnny Cash, that going to see that thing felt like I'd kind of completed this circle of that that painting or those, that music was part of my life for such a long time. And I feel like I've then kind of completed that circle by visiting a grave or seeing the painting myself um and i you know i know plenty of people that have had the best experience of their life seeing bands they've seen many many times over but seeing them live in a different country meant the whole experience was new it wasn't just the music it was everything about that whole thing was new um and so i think 
yeah, where people place in a kind of an emotional importance on something, um, I think that's when most of those um, those best trips come about. I think, am I wrong that Airbnb's line at one point was belong anywhere? Have I made that up? That sounds like it could be, yeah. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, how, where do you stay when you go on holiday? I'm, let's take out kind of business travel because that I think probably tends to be you know, bland hotels. Well, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe you seek out the interesting in business. Um, but where do you tend to stay? Do you tend to like to gravitate towards the, the hotels or quirky boutique places or Airbnbs? I hate calling them that because they're, 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 they're a holiday rental or a vacation rental. They're not an Airbnb. But I won't talk about that. Um, yeah, what, what do you look for? Uh, so I think it probably depends on the type of holiday. Um because there are some holidays feel pretty transactional, right? You just want like New York. I knew we'd be walking a load. So I didn't want a really nice place to stay because it felt like it'd be a waste of money. But with Washington, D.C., we ended up staying in a five star hotel. So we went from what was probably a two star hotel to a five star hotel. And then we had a night in Philadelphia as well. And that was in an Airbnb. So in that one trip, we stayed in quite a number of different places. And it felt like the place that we stayed represented quite nicely the place we were going because the place in Philadelphia was kind of a bit hippie, a bit bohemian. That was an Airbnb. Um, we stayed in a five-star hotel in Washington, D.C., which is a very kind of upmarket, um, very clean uh, city. And then New York was obviously just um, just based around the idea that we knew we were going to be walking a lot, so we just wanted to get our head down. Um, but you know, even but we had memories even in that even in that hotel, as I mentioned. So. Um, I think it, it kind of varies depending on where we're going to stay. I think I've I've been lucky enough through work and outside of work to stay in some very good hotels that, you know, cost lots of money. Um, but the one that sticks, the stay that sticks out the most was in a tent in the Sahara Desert with nomads. Um, and we didn't know that's how it was going to happen. So we basically did this trip. We'd been around the Atlas Mountains when I was about 24 We'd basically hired a guy in a Land Rover, which cost us something ridiculous, like £10 for four days of driving around. And part of that was a, a camel trek about two or three miles into the Sahara Desert, where nomads would kind of look after us for the evening. And um, we got picked up, but we kind of did this camel ride. We went really far in, and um, they didn't really speak any English at all, and we had pretty broken French, which is what lots of them were speaking. Um and they just encouraged us to, they kind of made tea for us and um, just told us to sleep. And they encouraged us to sleep outside of the tents that they put up. So you just had a kind of like a, a, almost like a futon type bed. And they were just like, look up at the stars and just don't talk to each other and just, just look up. And he kept, the guy kept saying, relax without facts. Like the only English words he knew was relax without facts, which tells you how long ago it was. Um, and, uh, and we, were, and that's what we encouraged to do. And we all kind of fell asleep and, we were woken up by them. We thought there was something wrong. We were woken up by them about four o'clock, four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, and we didn't know what they wanted, but they were telling us to go with them. They were like encouraging us to go with them. And we had no idea what, what they wanted. We thought there was something wrong, like we needed to get away. And they took us at the top of this sand dune and we just sat down there and then they pointed and the, sun, the sky had gone like this really bright pink and the sun was just rising. And we were like, oh, they've brought us up here to watch the sunrise they didn't want us to miss the sunrise and we sat there next to these um there was about four of us and these two um these two nomads and one of them had with him with a big plastic oil drum and he just turned it upside down and started playing it and started singing 
And we all looked at each other like, this can't be happening. Like, this is the most amazing thing to ever happen to any of us at that point, you know, as a group of 24-year-olds. Um, and uh, he started singing. And I remember one of the girls we were with was crying. And we're like, this is just unbelievable that these that these, that these these guys didn't have to do this, right? We, they paid them their money. We were staying overnight. That's all they had to do. But they thought, look, I'd, I want these people to come and see this. As a host, they felt like they could give a better experience and wanted to invest in that. Um, I remember... We were just really overwhelmed with it, like all of us were completely overwhelmed with it. And then he passed the oil drum across to me. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And then, and then one of the other men was like, in his broken English, basically said, play your music. And I looked at them, the guys I was like, what do I, what do I play? And one of my friends- Johnny Cash with the, with the drum, can you? <laughs> well, close, close enough, one of the girls I was with said, well, you sang King of the Road at karaoke a few months ago. Why did you do that? And she was like, I can't sing that. And they're like, he's, he's not going to know the song. It's going to sound like music to him. He's not going to know the song. And so she, yeah, my friend tapped on this oil drum and I sang King of the Road. Um, and then we all kind of hugged these nomads and um, and left. And uh, and I I think what's really weird is they probably never know. Same as the person that directed me to um, Johnny Cash's grave, the person who took the ticket at MoMA. They will never know the significant part they played in me achieving that thing that probably in many ways might have changed my life or certainly my perspective on life. And I think that's the interesting thing about hosts, right? The impact that they can have on somebody's life. And unfortunately, they will never know that. They will never see the impact they had by just opening up their home or allowing people to stay in the city that they live in. Um, and I think that's quite a, I think that's a really privileged position to be in that you can do that. Isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? hospitality pro move that is that's really um it's the art of surprise though as well isn't it um it's not just about um delivering something that you expect your guests to enjoy but it's about the surprise that the guest gets when you you know come up with something like the sunrise or where johnny cash's grave is or yeah it's really 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 interesting stuff um, and it's what, like, in my world, when we kind of talk about the employee experience, employee well-being, we're talking about creating a great experience. And a great experience is a collection of very small micro experiences. And so the aggregation of marginal gains means that if people have loads of little really positive experiences, that adds up to one really big experience. And what we always say is that, you know, you shouldn't benchmark your experience with you know, in this context, the next hotel or the next Airbnb, you should think about what is the best experience that I can deliver to somebody. And my competition is only to make sure that this person has a better time staying with me than they stayed at the last person they stayed with. And interestingly, in my world, I always refer to that as the chocolate on the pillow, which is obviously from the hotel world, the idea that those little extras make people feel special because any hotel room will give you a bed and any hotel room will give you a pillow. And it's only when you turn up and you get those free little extras or, and it's just, there are there's signals that say, I care about you and I've thought about you and your experience. And I think whether you're in the world of work with what I do in my day job or whether I'm staying somewhere on holiday, people notice those difference. And, you know, Hilton famously gave everyone, and I think they still do give everyone a warm cookie on arrival. Significant investment for a very small experience that you get when you check into a Hilton. But as soon as somebody starts taking that, that warm cookie away from you, you'll start noticing it and people probably stop going back to Hilton hotels. Yeah, 100%. I guess, and I think you have summed up our entire podcast. Um, <laughs> as in, 
how just a small travel experience can alter your life. And thank you so much for giving your life experiences and travel and these stories. It's quite fascinating. So I want to wrap up with one last thing. What is one bit of advice you would give to hosts listening to this? I mean, my my pet peeve staying anywhere is why it takes so long to check in anywhere. Why, if I'm giving you my bank details and my address at the start, why do I then have to wait for you to start typing something into a computer? Uh, and I stay in hotels an awful lot with my with my day job. And literally, uh, the first thing I've started to say is, and it sounds really rude, but I'll go straight up and I'll say, as quickly as possible, can you check me in? And people seem to speed up. And it's, I never understand, even with Airbnbs and stuff, it's like this whole list of instructions. It's just like, I'll work it out. Just let me, you don't have to show me around my room and tell me where the light switches are. I'm an intelligent guy, I'll work it out. So I think that people, whenever that by the time they get to you, they would have been traveling and they'll be tired and they'll be probably a bit short. So just get them in as quickly as possible um, and get them comfortable. Yep, it's one of my pet peeves too, Gethin. How great an experience is it to have to root around to try and find the key at 11 p.m. after a long journey? Um, yeah. you know, or variations of that. Hidden behind a blue door and you had no idea that it's there and you have to like half crawl in to get it? That that sounds yeah. like something Ty and you and I went through in London that one too. Yeah. Very familiar, yeah. yeah. crazy. I just never yeah. understand it. But um, but yeah, thank you for pointing that out, Gethin, because that's mine too. So <laughs> You don't need this big thick of book of rules saying like, if you damage something, you'll pay for it. It's, it's a given. We'd understand yeah. that. Um, I think um, any place I've ever stayed where they put effort into, like if there's a basket with just a bottle of wine or crisps and things like that, I would happily of those places paid an extra five or ten pound a night. But you know, so you you could even saturate those costs quite easily. I think, but I think that kind of stuff always makes a difference. It's the thing that someone will take a picture of and put on Instagram before they even lay down in the bed, and that's to me. I tell that's free. The marketer and commercial side of me is telling that's free marketing, mm-hmm. and all you've had to do is buy a cheap bottle of wine and put it in a basket. Um, but again, it's that that mint on the pillow. I think it makes a difference. Cool, very good. Gethin, it's been great talking to you. Um, time has flown. We have got to the end. Uh, but thank you for those stories. I think there were some really interesting stories on their own. Uh, and then, of course, it's uh, it's always interesting for our listeners to take learnings away from that. But the stories themselves, I, I really appreciated as much as the learning. So thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about them. And I believe you you mentioned you're an author and you have a book. So if someone is interested in finding out more about your books, where would they go? So it's available on Amazon in six countries. It's called uh, A World of Good, Lessons from Around the World and Improving the Employee Experience. Uh, And um, relevant to this podcast because it's all about different countries and what we could learn from those cultures to uh, improve the workplace. And so I think whether you employ 20 people, two people, two million people, there's something in there about what the different countries and regions teach us about treating people better at work and create better work environments. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm going to look it up myself. Maybe you have a travel or hospitality story you'd like to share on the guest cast. If you do, head to touchday.com forward slash podcast and send us a brief outline of your story. And as always, remember to subscribe to the guest cast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five star review and say hello on our social media at Touchday Welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. Learn more about how Touchday can help make your guests happier at touchday.com.